0: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save
1: we know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors luckily kroger free
2: pickup makes it easy
1: to grab what you need without any surprise fees whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit start your cart with the kroger app kroger fresh for everyone $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability.
0: It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get 2, 3, 4, 5, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
1: Welcome, dear friends, to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new options and promote original thought. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring untold stories. Reality is comprised of frequencies. Humans perceive selective bandwidths of frequency through their five senses. The frequency Daddy, we are privy to is incomplete, as there are many more bandwidths of frequencies than those we're aware of. The raw data provided by frequencies does not make sense to the linear mind, therefore frequency is translated into compartmentalized allegorical symbols by the imagination, and the mind creates a story to connect the dots between compartments. These stories become our reality, giving them ultimate power over our perceptions. We carry family stories, community stories, and cultural stories that define our reality and influence our experience. We have personal stories that first interpret and then dictate our reality. But the most powerful and destructive stories are those which remain untold. Many of our personal stories are the result of trauma. We create these stories to try to make sense of negative experience before pushing them into the back of our mind, never to be thought of again. There they fester compromising our self-esteem when brought into the light and examined many of these stories are only partial truth if not outright falsehood as they're created under extreme stress when we're probably not rational left to their own devices these untold stories have the power to distort our reality and compromise our lives how do we unearth and re-examine our untold stories is there any benefit to dredging them up can telling our old stories free us to write new ones our guests this hour may have some interesting insights into the subject. Sandra Marinella is the author of The Story You Need to Tell and founder of the you need to, Story You Need to Tell Project, which uses profits from her book to promote educational scholarships, writing workshops, and writing materials for those in need. Sandra is passionate about empowering others to find, write, and transform their stories. Her website, storyyoutell.com. Sandra, thank you so much for your service to the world and for joining us on the Science of Magic.
2: Thank you so much. It's it's great to be here.
1: (laughs) What was your educational background?
2: Well, I grew up and went to public schools in Indiana. I went to Purdue University. And I started out to major in psychology and fell in love with the tutoring program that I worked on and, and actually helped to start at Purdue. So I became um, a teacher and then my master's, I have a couple of master's degrees. And one is in writing because I became passionate about writing. And the other is in education because I'm passionate about working with and teaching others. So how did how did this get you so
1: interested in stories?
2: Oh, I think from the time I was a child, I was fascinated with the story of Anne Frank, um, the story, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many books and Little Women. I remember Gone with the Wind was uh, a book that just I was obsessed with as a child. <laughs> so, I mean, stories have just always been part of my life and teaching them became just a natural thing for me to do because I was so intrigued by stories. And as I and as I aged, I became more interested in psychology and the power of how our minds are defined by our stories and how we use our stories um, to guide us and, and help us to be better people. Well, we've got a few seconds left in this segment. Um, What kinds of stories are there? Oh, I think, um, well, I think we have defining stories, stories that tell us who we are. Uh, And I think we really oftentimes don't pay enough attention to those. And we also, as you mentioned earlier in the segment, we also have troubling stories that we bury deep within us, and they can become very problematic. I believe they can fully cause us to have uh, physical, not just physical, but psychological problems if we don't attend to our stories.
1: Hmm. Well, we'll pick up with attending to our stories on the other side of this commercial break. Sandra and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are internationally broadcast and aired daily through the X-Zone Broadcast Network, XZBN.net. The X-Zone is based in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Sandra Marinella, the author of The Story You Need to Tell and founder of The Story You Need to Tell project. Her website, storyyoutell.com. Sandra, we were just talking about how there's some defining stories that can be very damaging. Would you mind to go into that a
2: little more? Oh, absolutely. I um, I've done a lot of work particularly with cancer patients and with veterans, um, uh, largely veterans who are suffering from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And in my work, um, it becomes clear to me that many times uh, people take a story that is difficult and when they can't face it or deal with it, um, they place it inside and it becomes buried within us. And would you like me to give an example of one of those stories?
1: I think that'd be great Mm -hmm. okay
2: all right let me um, let me talk about um, Barbara Lee Barbara Lee was a veteran that I worked with down at the Phoenix Veterans Hospital um, for several years, and she was working on. She was struggling with her post-traumatic stress disorder. She would come into our writing group each week. We were working on um, writing, personal writing, to help to heal us, and she would come into the group um, upset and frustrated. And as weeks went on, Barbara eventually began to release a series of very difficult poems. And the poems talked mostly um, about her own life experiences that were painful. And she took us into understanding that she saw herself in imagery, um, such as one poem described her as an avocado that was rotten and had fallen beneath a tree. Uh, Another story described her as a cadaver that had been uh, beaten and bruised and left mm. for dead in an autopsy room. Gosh. So that these, these poems were, were horrific. They were, they were difficult. They were painful. Eventually, we were able to say to her, Barbara, is, is this your story? Is this something inside? And slowly she began to tell us that she had been, over 20 years ago, when she was serving in the armed services with the Air Force, she had been overseas, and she had been brutally raped by a fellow serviceman, and she had never told anyone. She said, you don't do that. You hold those things inside when you're part of the service. Of course, we know in our culture now that's that's changing. But after 20 years, this was really, really uh, just erupting out of Barbara, these horrible stories. And the the irony is that once she was able to release these poems and these stories, um, she lost her anger. She began to work her way forward, and she began to write a series of very beautiful poetry, poems that talked about her love of art, her love of horse riding, and her love of being uh, a poet, which she truly is a poet now. And we we literally had to, I like to say we fired her from PTSD school because (laughs) she was able to find her peace by releasing that that story, the rape story that had been buried within her. You know, Sandra, it
1: occurs to me as I'm listening to you that a lot of our stories are cover up for perceived guilt.
2: Would you speak to that, please? Um, A cover up? for guilt perceived guilt Mm -hmm. yes perceived guilt yes yes i think uh in the case of barbara that's a, a really good way of of putting it i think she felt it was her fault this had happened she held this inside she felt what did i do that caused this to happen um and she literally had not even discussed she told me as we worked together on her poetry that she had been unable in years of counseling to discuss this issues with others that she had blamed herself that she felt you know what did I do that caused this to happen um I'm pleased to say that I think she can look back now and she's released that she's been able uh and I deal a lot with this in the story you need to tell she's been able to rewrite that story and understand um that she she didn't um she's not at fault here <laughs> she's not right. at fault for being brutally raped right
1: right but it's so it's so interesting how we internalize it write a story around it and then that's our story and we stick to it and yet it's not necessarily accurate and it, it compromises our
2: life right the story is a is a very difficult very difficult puzzle in our brains and it's why i really feel that we as, as humans need to attend to it more fully. We need to look more fully at the stories that define us and the stories um, that we do use to guilt ourselves or the stories we bury within us. Um, it, it just liberates and helps us grow and reach a different stage of development if we're able to do that.
1: It occurs to me that we need stories, right? Isn't that our way of defining reality?
2: I think we truly are storytelling animals. I th- I think there is no question. I think we get up in the morning thinking of story. Um, we go to lunch telling stories from Facebook or stories from our kids or our pets. We come home in the evening and share stories. We watch television stories. We dream in story. I think we are absolutely storytelling animals, and we need to attend more fully to those specific stories that we allow. To define us and show us who we are because we choose those stories so if stories is so much a part of our persona so much part of our
1: reality if we can get a handle on them that's going to be very empowering isn't it
2: it is absolutely empowering to know who you are to know what the major stories in your life are and to be sure that you frame those stories in a way that allow you to live in positive and healthy ways you know, it seems like a lot of the stories are
1: become unconscious. How do we dig those back up and reexamine them for, for truth that this is what we want to continue to tell ourselves?
2: Well, there are, uh, sharing stories is really pivotal for our mental and physical well-being. There's, there's well over 200 research studies that have established that. So to get those stories out, you can, of course, some people um, go through counseling. Um, Most of us have close friends that we share our important stories with, and, and they come up that way. I personally am an advocate, and the reason I wrote this book is because I fully believe that personal writing can help you dig up and pull out and face and make better the stories that are guiding your life. And I I was a writing teacher in high school and college classrooms for 30 years when I um, discovered I had a very serious Um, diagnosis of cancer Mm. and I turned immediately to my writing and I was able to help myself navigate that story it was not an easy story to share I didn't want to become my cancer I didn't want to become known by my cancer story so I felt very much that I needed to write to heal and I become powerfully an advocate of of writing um that can heal us and transform and and change our lives. That's really what my book is is all about. Tell us a little bit about how rewriting our story can empower us to change our lives. Well, my research has led me down a a fascinating road. I was able to interview um, over um, 100 writers and cancer patients and veterans who have used writing um, to change their lives and the stories were so powerfully inspirational and I saw over and over again and I'll just use my own story as an example. I, I think there are stages of, of writing to heal. I think it's really been established if you look at the body of research that there is this amazing pattern and this is what I'm advocating and, and trying to, to teach people, trying to teach my students and trying to teach the social work and doctors that I work with. And the process is basically when you have a very, very difficult experience, such as my cancer diagnosis. Initially you are you tend to be um, in shock. You tend to be um, traumatized. You tend to have a, a very difficult time with it, so that there might be uh, a need for silence, a need for quiet, a need for your your story to readjust itself, to change itself, because suddenly I had to deal with cancer. I had to work that into my life, and I. I didn't want it. I didn't want to go through treatment. So it was hard, and I I honestly did not want to talk about it. So the second stage is breaking your silence, and eventually most of us do. We find a way after a period of time to break our silence and share what's happening with our friends or share what's happening with a counselor um, or a support group or if you can't talk to anyone, certainly through a journal, through journal writing, which I I used quite a bit of in breaking my own silence. And then the third stage is, um, once you begin to release that story Um, The third stage is accepting what what the story is. This is a shattered or a broken story. I didn't want the cancer, but I had to deal with it. I had to come up with the best solutions and ways for me to to make it through it medically and to make it through it with the people that I love and care about, and it was hard. But once I accepted it, um, in my journal, I began to understand it and understand what I was gonna do with it. So the fourth stage is really when you find when you begin to find meaning and you make a piece with the story, you can frame the story. And when that happens, when it is moved from your emotional self to a more logical place in your brain, then you own that story. It's, it's yours and you can see it as you choose to see it. I decided, I was going to see my cancer as as a positive opportunity, that I was going to, to learn and grow and that I was going to turn around, the fifth stage is rewriting, I was going to turn around and put my cancer behind me and begin my work with other cancer patients and veterans, people who need to heal their own stories and transform their lives by understanding that broken stories don't own them, they don't have to be stuck in their brains. You know, it occurs to me that um, if you try to skip any of those
1: steps, the rewriting becomes a form of denial rather than rewriting. Is that true?
2: Absolutely. I I think very early in on in the process, you can become um, stuck. Things can become repeating stories repeating broken stories. As Barbara's story was, Barbara's rape story was a totally broken story in her brain, which was making her life um, completely miserable. She couldn't get away from living this story every day, she told me. It just kept going on and on like a broken record or tape recorder.
1: Yeah. And and the point I was trying to make is, but if you don't go through all the steps that you just outlined and you go directly from broken story and try to rewrite it into something positive, it becomes a Pollyanna kind of denial without the process.
2: Oh, that. Oh, yes. I I, I fully agree with you. I do think there is I do think um, any any difficult experience we have and we all have them. I mean, I don't know anyone that hasn't experienced something, and if you haven't, you will, <laughs> will experience a, a difficult situation. Yes, you're absolutely right. You you really need to go, I think, through those stages. And I, I always think back to Elie Wiesel because his story of the concentration camps and the literature is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And he said he could not write it for 10 years, and he couldn't write it for 10 years. He did not write about his years in the concentration camps until he didn't publish his first book until 1960 talking about the concentration
1: camps yeah yeah you know and and i see this in people where they they try because you know nobody wants to hear your sad story so they try to go into a happy story make it a happy story before they've gone through the process and they end up stuck in a broken story don't they
2: yes yes i i I think you've you've really got that down i think that's (laughs) absolutely true Yes,
1: wonderful. Oh, well, shamaners, storytellers, what can I say, right? Yes, you
2: are. You are. Yes, I was listening to some of your tapes. You're a wonderful storyteller.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, we're going to have to take another break from all this storytelling, so it's time for a commercial <laughs> a commercial pause. Sandra and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't go away. You're listening. We're coming to you through the Zone Broadcast Network, where new and exciting things are always afoot. You really don't want to miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. We'll be back on the other side of this break, so don't you leave us now. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Wilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Sandra Marinella, the author of The Story You Need to Tell. Her website, storyyoutell.com. Sandra, how do stories
2: really affect our lives? Gawilda I think um, stories define us. I think they are who we are. And I think as we march through life, um, it's important to understand when you gather with your family that you're creating story, that you are the experiences you have and you're holding those stories dear to your heart. They're defining you. And when you have hard and difficult stories, um, it's easy to put those aside and to pretend they're not happening. But story always has to be dealt with because it is what many of our neuroscientists tell us, it really is the way we understand, the way we conform our identity, the way we create who we are. So you say we can shift our reality, actually, by shifting our stories. How does that work? I think it's, it's an amazing process. But I think when one becomes aware of story being central in our life and defining us, Um, we can indeed choose which stories we want to highlight and which stories we want to choose to see our own. Um, In in many of the workshops I teach, I teach the hero pattern and I show that we all really, I think in, in our efforts to find who we are and to live our best lives, we are all looking for our hero pattern. We are looking for our hero stories. So what do you do um, what is your bliss? What can you give this world that will make it better? What service can you offer that will help others and connect you more fully to this life? So I think it becomes um, a Each of
1: us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000
0: students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges.
1: Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu.
2: It's thing for us to choose how we define or which stories we use to define ourselves there's a lot of narrative therapy that is done uh, a wonderful field that was started some time ago by Michael White and the narrative therapy really argues that yes if we if we look at ourselves we we can choose our hard stories and come to understand them which is what I teach and if you look very carefully you can see there are many many positive things that you do. Um, that would change that. And I can give examples if you want, or we can...
1: Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. Um, so, an example of something that does support us.
2: Um, yes, I, I, I think um, I, I want to re- reverse that a little bit. I'm I'm going to use the example of, of one of um, the stories that I tell in the book of a young man uh, named Liam. And Liam was really an unhappy camper. He was seriously thinking about suicide and his mother was bereft and upset. And she took him um, to a counselor and they talked about, you know, why, why Liam was so upset and why he was frustrated. And it ended up that his, his father had abused the family for years and they had recently left the father because of his physical and verbal abuse. And Liam saw himself as someone that was worthless and didn't help others and didn't have any meaning. And when he began to talk, the mother and the counselor and Liam, they began to find that Liam had protected his mother often from the abuse of the father. That one time when the father was beating the mother, Liam literally had thrown a rock through the window to distract the father. And of course, the abuse ended. The father chased after Liam, but Liam was able to protect himself. So, he began to see that he Liam began to understand that he was always doing things to protect his mother and to protect kids at school. He was taking extra uh, extra lunch every day so he could help feed the kids who had no lunch. And slowly, all these beautiful stories began to emerge that showed. There was so much that was wonderful and positive about Liam, and his whole attitude toward life began to change when he came to understand that there was a lot of beauty in him, and he could focus on the beauty and move his story into his hero story, guide himself forward um, with a positive vision of who he is.
1: Mm. So it sounds like this is an example of someone having to move out of stories that somebody else had told about them.
2: Yes, I, I, think, I think that's true to some degree, but I, I think mostly he had been in such a negative, horrible life situation with the father um, that probably it had pulled him down and he had become quite um, accepting of those negative stories himself. And right. I, once the other stories were released and his understanding changed, he, he could totally reframe the way he, he envisioned himself. Yeah, and it's amazing the the impact that um, the impression that adults
1: give children, how that shapes their their personal stories to start out with. Yes, Can you I to that a little.
2: Um, oh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a given. I think the way that we behave and act around our children. Um, has everything to do with the way they behave and act in the world and the way they view the world and see the world. I used to in my, particularly in my high school classroom, I used to see students coming and and literally, Saying things that I knew had come right from the kitchen table at home. <laughs> you know, they were just quoting what they had learned there because that's how we learn. And and I one of the things returning to the idea of story again, one of the things I loved in the high school classroom is daily we were reading and talking about powerful stories. Stories also show us, give us alternatives to how we can live, and positive ways of of viewing. The world. I remember there was only one Bible story in my entire um, literature high school book and it was um, um, the parable of the the lost son, the son that went Mm -hmm. away and then came back and the father accepted him into the house. And the younger son was really, really upset about that. Um, And when we read that in my classroom, I remember telling my class that I was so struck by that story because I learned it as a child. And that I realized now that it was embedded in my brain cells and that I used that story to guide me as a parent. Mm -hmm. That I learned to be a better parent by understanding that, you know, our our love as a parent is unconditional. We just open our heart and we, we care. That's what parents do. And that story taught me that. And I always tried to use those kinds of stories in my classroom that I would help. I would hope would help my students um, to be better, better humans.
1: Well, there comes a time uh, when, you know, what was it my mother said to me? Um, um, You're alive. I did my job, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because parenting can be very
2: challenging. Parenting is challenging. There's no question.
1: (laughs) Doesn't there there come a time when, uh, okay, it's time to put on our big girl panties or big boy panties and say, okay, these are the stories I was taught. But now what stories do I want to write? What stories do I want to live? And how do we know when that time has come and how do we engage in that?
2: Well, I I would assume um, that that transition point in our lives is different for everybody, that we reach that point of maturity at at different levels. And I truly saw in high school uh, many students um, who were already there. Uh, and I think as we go through adulthood, yes, we need to reach out and we need to, to put on our, our our thinking caps and our story caps and make wise decisions. Um, I, I think it's very, very easy with all the things that pull our attention and divert our attention from being human um, – I mean, I'm sure that many of the social media devices also help us connect as humans. But there's so many things that are fragmenting our thought processes or can allow us to fragment our thought processes now. We have to work extra hard at just accepting our our role as adults. I think it can come at the age of 16 or 18. I saw it with my students. But I also think... um, you can, you can lose it. You can forget. You, we can revert <laughs> into, <laughs> into children. As you know, Gwilda, right? right. We can re- go back. And we have to fight throughout our lives, I think, to keep our, 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 our minds focused and in a meditative spirit uh, in the moment, trying to work hard to find the stories that we care and that we want to build on in our own lives.
1: How do we start, though? How do we start to unearth and re-examine
2: our old stories so we can tell which
1: ones we want and which ones we want to rewrite?
2: Well, I I spent a lot of time in in the book um, sharing. Uh, in my thirty years of working um, with students, writing students, I developed a lot of prompts I think that help people um, look back the stories the stories are all there. Just last week, I worked with a, a book club and it was it was a very interesting book club because there were um, men in their fifties and sixties and they were community leaders, and they were telling me they had many stories they had never ever told before and and they didn't really think those stories were there anymore. They hadn't written anything down. And I shared the brain research with them and and said, you know, they're there. You can find them. (laughs) And you begin by looking through um, old journals if you have them or old photographs if you have them. Um, now we go to the cloud and look at our photographs, but you can, you can search back through, and even when you're with your family and you share stories, um, you, they begin to open up. Now one of my favorite activities always in a classroom that really opens people up, I think, or in a workshop, is to um, ask them to draw a map of a certain uh, place where they lived as a child. Or ask them to list the key experiences they remember from their life. And then to choose which ones they need to examine. Because once you begin this process that I teach in the book of this um, writing, of personal writing, to guide you to find your stories, they just begin to spill out all over the place. (laughs) Once you open that dam, look out, huh? Oh, yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... um, if we start if we start digging around in our stories and they start over can can they overwhelm us sometimes
2: um yes i i think they i think when you hit a difficult story for example um one of the men in the book club told me that um 20 years earlier his 16-year-old son had died on a surgery table when he was having a heart transplant. Mm. And he said, I have never dealt with, I've never written, I've never talked about that. But he said the pain of it. And he was, he, it was a beautiful experience because he was crying in book club. He was admitting this pain and yes, uh, what a release and what a painful thing. And I think often when we reach those hard stories, they're, they're horribly painful. Mm. Um, and I'm going to be meeting with him and talking with him and working with him on the release of that story. It, it has to be a careful process. It's a difficult thing. So it can be overwhelming and it can be hard. But the important thing I think here is that we remember that that, that release is, is one will be a powerfully wonderful thing in the end. It will, it will change you. It will help you grow. And it will make it
1: better. As a facilitator, do you have a referral base of professionals when somebody starts really getting overwhelmed?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, I do. But I, I, I always, always practice um, what James Pennybaker, the great um, psychologist, says is the flip out rule. If if you're not ready to talk about something, then then it's not ready to be talked about. It's not ready to be written about yet. You know, give it time. Let it work its way through your mind let your mind learn to deal with it first and and adapt to it it's that first stage again if you're not ready um, you have to have time to change a story in your mind which takes us back to not skipping the steps
1: we're we're (laughs) going to have our next step is another commercial break (laughs) but before we before we pause let me remind you to check out the amazing upcoming galactic shamanism classes for both children and adults on findyourpathhome.com Sandra and I will be back shortly so don't leave us now this is The Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net.
4: Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere,
1: 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wyeka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at the info at magic dot net and suggest a topic or guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one that would enjoy it. Our guest this hour is San- Sandra Marinella, the author of the story you need to tell. Her website, com. Sandra, I really, uh, you know, in, in your bio, it said that you, you donate the proceeds from your book to help people uh, learn to tell stories. Why did you start doing that? That's a beautiful provision.
2: Well, I think um, from the time I was very young, Um, my parents always said it's all about service it's all about helping other people Mm -hmm. and they really lived that and I think um, we were talking earlier about how we impress on our own minds um, the patterns of our parents that's often a very natural thing to do and I, I do have to thank my parents for that heritage and then I found in teaching and in life that the payback from service was just amazing it's it's mm. not really a giving thing i mean you're getting <laughs> by giving <laughs> you receive so much by helping other people and when i had cancer it seemed like a very very powerful thing to be able to take this back and help people be able to write and find story to get them through it so it's it's really a give back project for me and it's a it's a opportunity for me to receive as well as give
1: Mm. So it sounds like it's kind of a natural result of your own stories.
2: Oh yes, I think I think I just it was it was the pattern that was set up in my mind, my parents and then my work with tutoring and college and then my teaching. and then um, when I found I had cancer, I thought, oh, it's time for me to leave teaching. It's time for me to begin working with special groups of people that outside the educational field will will need to find story, will need to understand the power of their personal stories.
1: Mm. Well, speaking of which, what can you tell us about our stories and illness? How do they relate to each other?
2: Oh, I, <laughs> I really uh, enjoyed, um, one of the areas of research I did was really studying um, the impact of story on illness, and it, it was overwhelming what I was able to learn in working um, largely with cancer patients, but I have worked with um, some other patients at um, Mayo Clinic in Phoenix as well, ones that, are, that have a different kind of diagnosis, but what I learned was, um, I think what's most important as you're wading through uh, a difficult disease, um, the stories that you tell yourself really do matter. And for example, I can tell you that in going to cancer support groups, that when I worked with people who were um, telling stories about dying and being negative about the process, um, they were much more likely to be headed to a negative outcome. It was just shocking to me. Um, it seemed like they were foretelling their future uh, in, in in a negative light, and mm-hmm. it would make me sad. And Another young woman I worked with, Jen Campisano, who was stage 4 cancer and definitely not in in a good situation. Her scans were lighting up all of the time. Mm. She kept telling the positive story. I worked with her, and she started writing this blog on working her way through her cancer. And she's five years out, and she's doing really well. And, I mean, she's still writing positive stories about I'm choosing to live in the moment, and mm. I, I was amazed at how our language and the stories we choose to tell in illness influence the course of the illness. Well, you know, you said something very interesting. Probably, I
1: believe it was in the first segment about uh, finding reason to be grateful for your cancer, uh, finding a story of gratitude. How important is that in transmuting our situation?
2: Gratitude is very, very important. I mean, it's one of the pieces that has been um, researched quite a bit, and the findings are profound. Um, In workshops, especially with um, people who are facing serious illnesses, I frequently teach the strategy of writing for gratitude uh, because it allows us... Uh, to release the the serotonin, to release the good chemicals in our brain that allow us to think more positively and to feel better about each and every day. It's really hard, um, even when you're struggling um, with a a bad session of chemotherapy, uh, it's really hard if you get up in the morning and you write about the positives in your life or write about the things you are thankful for. Uh, For example, I worked just a couple of nights ago, with a stage four cancer patient who was telling um, me, uh, we did a gratitude writing and he was writing about this cat in his life and how much the cat means to him and how every day he loves to get up and go to the grocery and buy this special meat for the cat that no one thinks he should feed the cat. And he just lit up and was so joyful. And I thought, this just confirms that Gratitude. Finding our gratitudes is is a really helpful and healthy thing for us. You know, we, you said something about how the the stories
1: change the your brain chemistry. Do our stories literally put us in the frequency of a circumstance by telling them?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of research that shows that when you when you even go to a movie and watch a movie, um, if you're watching a murder, you're experiencing those uptight emotions that happen. Um, when a a murder is happening, so Yes, I think absolutely our our minds have that power with our stories. Yes, they follow our stories, they experience the emotions related to the story. So, that's why we want to be so careful about the stories that we choose and that we let our children witness on television <laughs> and in movies.
1: Well, it, it's it brings up a whole new thing about, okay, what about the propaganda? What about, you know, the news that we you know right, uh, expose right.
2: ourselves to? What are we doing? Right, right because there has been so Yes, there's been such a body of news and, you know, call it what you will, fake news, troubling news, problematic news, and a heavy diet of it will definitely cause symptoms of trauma. I mean, you can definitely become um, ill over watching um, too much of news, which will will make you feel uh, bad and, and ingest a lot of bad stories. Yes. So if we take this out the other direction,
1: do you believe personally that we can actually change the reality we're living, change the circumstances out there by rewriting our stories and being careful what we expose ourselves to?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, when I started this book, I went back and I read all 27 of my journals to trace the power of my story on my life. And I realized that, yes, it was what um, I I chose to do, what I chose to experience, what I chose to bring into my life, that I had that power. And, I mean, there are all kinds of things on the outside that happen, events. We can't deny they're happening or, or stop um, the politics that are around us. We cannot stop those things. But we can choose how we see them. And we can choose how we frame our own lives and what we commit ourselves to in terms of making the change we can make.
1: How important is is a witness um, when you're telling your story, when you're working with storytelling? I know you said that you don't absolutely have to have one, but how important is, is it
2: to have another human being sitting there and listening to you? It's, it's extremely important. I mean, many many uh, many folks I take through writing because they won't release the story any other way. And the writing gives the gift of reflection of being able to look in a mirror and see it. But when you can share it with another human being, you are validated as a human being. You have community. You have that communal sharing, which is equally important to our well-being. Do you coach your people um,
1: when you're doing a group? Do you coach them on how to be supportive, how to be a good listener?
2: I do. I think, well, I mean, (laughs) I think I I coached every group I ever taught in high school and college on the value of listening and active listening and the importance of hearing the story of the other person. Absolutely. Active
1: listening, uh, let's define that. That's where you simply reflect back to them what they've said versus put your two cents worth in. Is that correct?
2: Right, right. You're focused on what the other person is giving you instead of what You have to say, you want to be sure you get the message, the story that is coming from them to you before you share your story or your reactions. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, we're just about out of time. What can you tell us about the story you need to tell project?
2: Oh, I, I, I'm committed to it. I'm passionate about it. Um, it has grown my life in such wonderful ways because I offer workshops that you can discover on my website, and I will be doing um, eventually um, workbooks along with the book, uh, but the work uh, is in the book, and you can use the book, the story you need to tell, to guide you or your own groups through it, and you can write me at the story uh, at StoryYouTell.com. If you have questions or if you need guidance or help, I am very much um, committed to helping people find the value of their stories and to making their lives uh, have more well-being as a result of of understanding their stories. Mm.
1: And it's so important when we when we start to look at okay, the stories we tell are the stories we live.
2: Absolutely, we are we are those stories. Absolutely.
1: And so the more of us that change our stories to something positive,
2: the more positive the world will be. Absolutely. And I, yes, I can't can't cheer you on enough on that one. <laughs> Very important, Guilda. Very important.
1: Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the program and for all the wonderful things you're bringing to the world.
2: It's an honor to be here and talk with you. This This hour just flew. I've really enjoyed just chatting and learning from you as well as sharing with you.
1: Well, thank you so, so much. But I'm afraid we are out of time. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Sandra Marinella, the author of The Story You Need to Tell and founder of The Story You Need to Tell Project. And you can find out about all the wonderful things she offers at her website, storyutell.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our thought-provoking, topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones. May you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you rewrite your stories.
0: world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you're not alone. You may not know it, but support is out there, just waiting to meet you, and you can find it through the friendly people at Church's Care. At Church's Care, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churches Care helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit ChurchesCare.com today. That's ChurchesCare.com. C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com. We look forward to serving you.